Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 43 for June 8th, 2006. Ports. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. Steve Gibson is ready to talk about your ports. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> you really, I mean, I think probably for many people, the first kind of introduction to the concept of ports came from Shields Up. And Steve well, Gibson. and as far as I know, I coined the term stealth. I don't. Uh, that was one that I sort of, you know, in in the whole Shields Up Star Trek theme thing. <laughs> I thought, okay, w- what are we going to call a TCP port, which is neither open nor closed? And I thought, oh, stealth. Well, yeah. you know, like like you know the uh, the cloaking feel and all right, that stuff right. from Star Trek. So, uh, um, you know, and, and of course, it's as usual, uh, all of this stuff really was the bailiwick of business and enterprise computing, networking and all that stuff. And but as more and more people have multiple computers in their home, suddenly we're all becoming networking experts and the topic of ports becomes very important. Now, it's a little bit of a confusion because we we've always had ports with PCs, but they used to be serial ports and printer ports. And that's not the kind of ports we're talking about. You're right. And in, in fact, you, you, you mentioned enterprise. And I, I remember the, the day or the era, rather, where and this was just it, it demonstrates such an evolution in what's going on on the Internet, where it used to be in the early days of the Internet when there was some mischief going on, then the IT guys would block a certain port that this mischief was coming into the network on. In, in other words, there was sort of the, this this presumption of everything being benign, but the exceptions were things being bad. So, so in terms of like a firewall methodology and the way people were thinking, you had a, a default allow traffic in, and then your exceptions were denying traffic. Boy, that's changed. And I mean, oh my God, talk about getting fired quickly. If, if, if you were if you were an IT guy these days who did that, you know, it'd be like, what are you thinking? Because of course today the world is completely inverted, where by default you deny everything and you only allow traffic into your border that you know you want because you know the internet just crawling with with junk i mean you know for example we we've got this legacy of windows worms still crawling around the net probing old vulnerabilities that have long since been removed but you know they're still out there trying to infect machines and and, and as we know if you did stick a if you like took a computer you had just installed xp on before doing any windows update before installing any service packs you know that 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 windows xp that we were told was going to be the most secure operating system microsoft ever created you put one of those on the internet and start your stop watch to see to <laughs> yeah. see how long it takes to just be 
just taken over by the junk that's crawling around S- the net. I mean, Sasser and MS Blast and all those. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's like a matter of minutes. I, and, I, I and liken it stuff to, is crawling in your machine. I liken it to almost to herpes, or it's an it's an infection that's endemic. It's it's everywhere on the net and will continue to be there. I mean, there's no, nobody could, nobody's sending it out anymore. It's, it's just their infected machines who continue to do it. And probably will never, won't go away until windows goes away. I think we will probably never never get, never get rid of those things. You're right. They're, they're, they're old unmanaged computers that are just sitting on the net in Lord knows where. I mean, in, in, in strange places in like long forgotten and they've got this junk in them now. And you know, the, the whole point of a worm is that it's self replicating. So once it crawled into this machine and set up shop, it then began scanning for others. And I mean, just, they're just always going to be there. And what they're scanning for is, in fact, open ports. Maybe we should define uh, what a port is. To you know, and I think the terminology is not great. I I I, I think a, a word like channel might be might be better. Well, we, channel would be a great term because I mean, as as we've talked about when we've talked about about the issue of ports in general, and what I wanted to do this week is really just focus on on this issue of open ports because a lot of people are concerned about them we get questions all the time you know like i have to have this port open is that a problem you know how do i close this port what 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 does it mean to have a port open so so yeah i I really wanted to just focus on this issue of open ports and sort of you know really cover that well to to resolve a lot of these questions and but but you're completely right as we talked about when we were talking about the basic protocols of the internet um, ICMP, UDP, and TCP. We were we 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 glanced on this before. The idea that that unfortunately a port people associate that with a physical thing, you know, like a serial port, a parallel port, a you know, USB port, a FireWire port, or whatever. But in fact, it's a a port is nothing but a 16-bit number which is carried in the in along at, at the front in the header of of internet packets which which sort of specifies exactly as you said Leo which channel of of many channels of of 6 65535 possible channels this this packet is aimed at so there's no there's no physicality to this kind of port it's not there's 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 no there's no like um electronic <laughs> there's sixty five thousand uh channel electronic switcher or changer or anything like that i mean there's no right. there's no physical thing right well the, the 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 physical manifestation of course would be your ethernet port and there again we've got the we got that 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 collision of of of, of naming so you know your ethernet connection is the way that this Ethernet traffic, of course, travels into and out of your machine, and it's often doing so through these so-called open ports. But it's not like a part of the cable is is, is port 1024. I mean, it's there, it's all coming through the same electrical signal. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And if, I so, guess if, it helps if you understand that all of the data is sent in little discrete chunks called packets, and that each packet has, as you mentioned, a header, and inside this header is information about where that packet's going, where it came from and what port what channel it's it's well, surfing uh, yes and, and and that of course was the great breakthrough of the internet 
was instead of having a switched circuit system where actual physical circuits were being switched, we, we, we stepped back from it and we have a switched packet system where packet switching is the way is the way machines talk to each other across a a network of fixed circuits. So the line's so, always open, open, and data's always going, but but it's it's routed according to uh, the packeting. Is that Bob Metcalf's invention? Is that uh, I know he invented Ethernet. Was that the kind of the part of that invention, or did it pre- no? Predate um, that? that actually predates it, the the actual the the Ethernet is just one of a number of electrical technologies that that can be used to carry packets but for example token ring was ibm's network um and and, and they use packets th- too exactly so yeah. exactly so you I think you, you can surf might i mean certainly he gets credit for ip i wonder if well maybe not though. yeah well it was all done you know a long um, time at, ago at, at the beginning of the net when it was all being put together <laughs> beginning of time i guess paul Barron is the guy who invented packet switching or one of the guys who invented packet switching so so, so Fundamentally, we have at, at sort of like the, the, the core for a machine which is on the Internet is the operating system. But the operating system doesn't itself natively have any ports. That is, it supports the, the protocol and the ability for the OS to communicate by providing services, you know, like the so-called TCP/IP stack and IP services, the operating system will will support IP addresses, which allow it to accept these packets. But but something then after the operating system, some something running in the operating system is is the actual entity which which creates and and opens these ports. Now, for example, in the case of Windows, it may not be a separate application. It might be a service, which which really is part of the operating system, but it's a separable part. I mean, for example, you can stop the service or remove the service in order to close the ports that that service opened. And then, and then the next level sort of like for, uh, of distance from the operating system are actual applications which are, are running in the operating system, like, you know, you and I are using Skype right now. It's, it's running as a program on top of the operating system, using the operating system's lower-level networking facilities to allow it to communicate out on the Internet so that our two Skype clients are able to connect to each other. And Skype is kind of independent of what port you're using in fact you can in skype say no no use this port or use that port the, it works exactly the same it doesn't it's not tied to the port it doesn't care exactly so so there are as also as we talked about before there are sort of what's called well-known port numbers where for example dns the the, the domain name system that allows um, web names to be ma- to be looked up and matched to their IP addresses um, by agreement it uses port 53 and so so you you the a DNS server is listening for packets coming into port 53 of any computer that is running on and your own clients are sending their data out of port 53 bound for 
whatever DNS service they've been configured to operate with. And, of course, we know that web uses port 80 and, and 443 for, for SSL secure connections and on and on. So there, there's, a, there, there's a large array of well-known ports, the idea being that, that systems will, by default, have services running in them listening for incoming traffic on those ports. So, so if we if we remember what we were talking about when we were talking about TCP before the transmission control protocol, um, the idea is that the 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 operating system is doing the work for the application of of establishing and sort of getting the connection going, and this is where this notion really of an open port comes from because when when a, a a connection wants to be established with a machine, a SYN, uh, S-Y-N, which is short for synchronized packet, is sent to that IP address that the computer is listening on. If, the port, if it's a TCP port, which is open, which is to say there's something that is, is said, I want to accept connections that are can that are coming into this port or as as we've said sort of a really sort of a, a virtual port more like a channel then the operating system will send back what's called a sin ack a an a, a its own sin and an acknowledgement of the receipt of that incoming sin well that's sort of this whole key of what makes the port be open is that that anybody literally on the planet can send one of these sin packets at someone's machine and if it responds with a sin ack then we then we know that something is there at that IP address even if it's across the planet which is is ready to to accept a connection and have some sort of transaction with us. And, so and cool. You, <laughs> I just, it, it every really, time you describe these things, I just am impressed with how they, you know, thought this stuff up. Well, and, and that it has survived the test of time, I mean, so yeah. well. And so, so that's really what it was that, that got me thinking about Shields Up. Um, back then, and, and we're, we're talking, you know, years ago, I was, I was setting up an ISDN connection for my company. There, there you go. There's the, that'll tell you how long ago it was. Exactly. Pre-DSL, pre-cable modem, pre, you know, ISDN. Hmm. It was an, it, exactly. It was an ISDN connection. And, and I, rem- I was aware of this whole issue of, of ports and security. And so I got one of the, I just downloaded one of the free online scanners that were available on the internet and still are. And, and I just, I was curious, like, what was going on in the neighborhood of the IP address that we'd been assigned? So I, I just set the scanner up to, like, scan, I don't know, like, you know, the 100 IPs plus or minus where, where the IP that we'd been assigned was. And there were all these computers that had, and in fact, this particular scanner was scanning for um, Windows file sharing. And I mean, there were literally the names of machines wow. and the C and D drives wow. wide open, exposed on the internet. That must have been a shock. 
Well, wow. it, it, yeah, I mean, and it, it was enough of a shock that it was, I thought, you know, nobody knows about this. Th- this needs to receive attention because people were putting their Windows machines, hooking them directly to the Internet. This is before personal firewalls, before NAT routers, just literally plugging them into the Internet. And, and by default, Windows machines all had this file sharing port open, meaning that even if the user hadn't hadn't shared any files, they still Windows had all these services that were running in the in the machine by default, accepting incoming connections from anyone on the planet. And so it was finally, I mean, it was that the the, the recognition that. This really needed attention that that caused me to just say, okay, I'm going to do this thing that's going to make it very easy for people to check their systems to see if they're in this kind of danger. So, you know, the very first version of Shields Up primarily checked for Windows file sharing, and then I expanded it in several second, you know, several follow-on generations to 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 do like, for example, now it does a full. Um, 1056 port scan to, to, to check from ports, actually even including zero, which is not a legal port, but it turns out there are some vulnerabilities and routers that will accept traffic on port oh, wow. zero all, all the way up through um, 1056 in order to look at the even, even the, the low um, client ports on, under Windows. But so, the, anyway, the idea was that, or, or is of, of TCP, that that Software running in the system will instruct the operating system to open a port. What that means then is that that port will respond to, will affirmatively respond to incoming traffic. Well, now, an open port responds affirmatively, but it turns out that even a closed port, that is, a port for which there is no listening software associated with it. There is no program that has told the operating system, I want you to accept on my behalf traffic coming in and and do the the low-level housekeeping work for me of of setting up a connection. In that case, a a packet coming in and hitting a, a standard TCP IP stack will generate an affirmative denial of a connection attempt. Normally, it'll, it'll get back a, a, a reset or sometimes an ICMP message saying there is no service available on this port uh, at, at this IP. So although you, you haven't confirmed that you've found something potentially vulnerable, for example, a a service that you may be able to exploit by virtue of the fact that it's going to accept a connection from you and and you're able to mess with it, what you have confirmed is there's a computer of some sort listening for incoming traffic on that IP. So, so, So those ports are considered to be closed, but they're still known to exist. And of course, then the, the the next stage of this is is the so-called stealth port, where incoming traffic hits the machine. Um, if the port is not open and would normally respond in some affirmative fashion, saying no, 
no traffic is 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 being accepted on that port instead the machine is is completely mute it just says nothing so you and that's of course exactly the response that you generally get for a dead connection where there's just nothing on the ip at all and that's your so-called stealth mode which of course has now become you know like the way to be on the internet it's interesting i mean there are people who argue that stealth is bogus what that, really I mean, it, oh yeah uh, you know it's the old unix guys and, uh, and and they also dislike the idea that stealthing a machine technically breaks the 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 the, the ip or the oh, it's, tcp it. it's out of spec know, it's out of spec, yeah. exactly. Well, because like, that's a purist point of view. But frankly, if you think about it, if bad guys come and knock, and what's the best response? We don't have any money in here, or nothing. Yes, right? or exactly. There is no in here. <laughs> there is no in here. Nothing exists at this address. Move on. Right. So, I mean, you could be a purist about it, but frankly, I think it's pretty obvious what the best choice is. Well, it, uh, yes, it, and, and and the fact is, since it costs nothing to be stealth. Why not be stealth? I mean, since, since it costs nothing to be invisible, it seems to me it's better, exactly as you said, to be in completely invisible on the net than to say, I'm here, um, but, you know, all the ports you've checked so far are closed. Now, well, it, does, it does come up from time to time that, uh, a, a, well, this happened with a, the IDENT uh, D port where uh, a router manufacturer decided it wasn't a good idea to stealth that port because some services were still using it and uh, the uh, an invisible port wouldn't be a appropriate response well that's a very good point there 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 is a, there the, the 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 example you cite the ident port what happens is when when a a user is trying to connect to a server and this is generally i mean just ancient servers i mean there are some irc servers some really old web servers um so, sometimes some ftp servers the part of the connection protocol is when a connection a request comes into the server it sends back a a an ident packet to the ident port at that user's IP, because it, it because in the old days people would have these things called ident servers where they would list a whole bunch of information about themselves. I mean, who's going to do that today? I mean, nobody, because basically you're sort of saying here, here's everything you want to know <laughs> about <on> me. In. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it had been forever since anyone actually ran an ident service. But what the server that, it, that makes the query wants is at least to get an, an affirm an, yes, yes yeah. at some sort of an, an, an affirmative statement that yes there's a machine here but um, nobody's home so so what normally happens is the ident uses tcp protocol so the server will send a sin packet trying to establish a connection in the reverse direction back to the client well t as we know tcp is very patient about getting a connection established it'll send a sin packet if it doesn't hear anything else it'll send another one then it waits twice as long and send another one. Then it waits twice as long again and send another one. Some machines will send up to five packets, and you can end up like waiting a minute before wow. the thing finally decides, okay, there's nobody here. Right. The problem is that all of that 
suspends your main connection to the server. That is, the server, everything just stops on the server while it's trying to establish this painfully slow process of getting a TCP connection. If the far end did say, no, I have no IDENT service, by sending back an ICMP or by sending a TCP reset packet, then at least the server would know, oh, okay, no service, but there's somebody here. And it would would typically just then, it doesn't really care about the IDENT. It's just old technology that is still in some servers on the Internet. So what is the harm in doing that then? I mean, now I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, well, in that case, why do we bother stealthing that port? It's just that, well, actually, I think probably GRC is at fault. I mean, <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, I was showing everybody that their IDEN port was not stealthed, and stealth became a cool thing to do. And people begin asking their, their router manufacturers and their personal firewall manufacturers, hey, Gibson says my IDEN port is not stealth. I want to be stealth. And so, just really due to popular demand, the router manufacturers said, oh, okay, fine, we'll stealth the port. Well, the problem then is that some connections will stall when you when you are going out through a router or out through a personal firewall which stealths the IDEMP port so so then the next generation of this came along and and that was adaptive stealthing or, or adaptive IDENT stealthing where the router would be smart and it would stealth the IDEMP port from any source IP that is the 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 the, the remote server trying to open an IDENT connection back to you, it would stealth it unless it saw that you had an outgoing connection to that IP, which is a perfect solution. There you so, go. So, so if you've you, established it, a connection, and it asks back, well, you got an IDENT server, you can respond to that. Exactly. Then you say, no, I don't. Right. But at least the far end server is happy that you exist. You acknowledge that immediately, and then you get on with your main ah, connection establishment. But here's the thing. Would you mark that as a stealthed port? Um, yes. In fact, I do it on purpose. Shields up. Uh, uh, it checks the person's, the the user's um machine from an IP different than they ah, are connecting to us from. To avoid I, this thing. Exactly. Yeah. So I do it on purpose in order to give them credit for and to show that their router is stealthing IDENT for random sources of IP addresses out on the Internet, not the ones that they're actually trying to connect to. So it ends up being a very useful thing. Now, now one, we should just mention that the, the reason that you want it to be stealth is any indicator, even on a, on a, on a completely safe port like the ident port any indicator that you exist could be a message to a hacker well at least there's something here you might want to keep investigating well here's a perfect example leo and that is denial of service attacks if 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 you piss off somebody on the internet who's got control of even a small botnet and they decide they're just going to ddos you into oblivion well They'll blast you for a while and then typically stop the attack so that they can see if you're still there. Well, you know, you'd very much like them not to be able to tell 
that you're still there. Yes, yeah. Only if you're stealth can you pull that off. Uh-huh. If they were able to ping you or to bounce packets off you or try to open a connection and get back an affirmative closed state uh, state from, from you, then they'll know you're still there. And it's fairly trivial to actually test each and every of the 65,000 ports. Uh, I mean, computers are fast. So if, if even if there's but one open or not st- not even open, closed, but not stealth, They'll well, know you're there. Yeah. In fact, if, if you're running a system that is not stealthing you, every port will at least say either it's open or it's closed. So you, you so in order to be to just to be completely off the net in appearance, you really do need the technology which is going to stealth you. And as a matter of fact, the I, I've seen dialogues where where hackers know that ident is often not stealthed mm-hmm. so they're specifically trying to open an ident connection because unless it's adaptively um stealthed as as all the latest firmware and personal firewalls are generally now able to do it will look like it's closed and they'll know you're still there so thanks to grc.com and shields up um all routers all consumer grade routers that ship these days ship with, with stealth turned on yeah yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's the it's the right way to go. There's just no there's no good reason not to be stealth where you can be. Now, am I now, throwing the, all the value of stealth out though by having some open ports? Um, uh, probably not, because you don't know what it is that might be looking for you. Right. You might have, you know, a hacker might specifically be scanning for a new vulnerability, which has just been found, like in 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 MySQL, and so it might be looking for for the the to see whether whether you have a, a, a SQL database right. server port open. So it would be specifically checking for that port. If you look and, at the hacker tools, uh, they usually will. Get, say what port do you want to hit and what range of ip addresses do you want to test right and you could you could test a range of ports but for efficiency's sake they may just be going after that one port well now it, it's also necessary since we really want to cover the topic of open ports well in in in, in this particular episode it's necessary to talk about the fact that udp protocol is every bit as viable as TCP, but because it doesn't have this whole introductory handshaking going on, where you send a SYN and the SYN act comes back, or you send a SYN and a reset comes back, its uh, UDP ports will generally operate or may operate differently. That That is to say that, as we know, UDP doesn't have this this connection establishment handshake which is really the benefit for very short-term connections for example the dns protocol for for domain name services generally you just send a single packet off to a, a dns server and it sends you a single packet reply so it's extremely efficient since dns is going to be transacting such small amounts of information you wouldn't want to go through all the trouble of having a three-way packet handshake then send your request <laughs> then get the reply then have to shut down that that that, that existing or established connection through another series of, of packets so, so it's, dns it's, uses udp you exactly well, I didn't DNS. Know that. Oh. It actually uses both. It'll use UDP, but but there's a a limit. One of the reasons that UDP 
actually isn't convenient is if you need to send a lot of data because because generally UDP is sort of packet oriented now again all of these things sort of have caveats for example you and I are using UDP right now for sending for streaming substantial amounts of data between each other during this podcast but but what's happened is a a a protocol on top of it um for well i mean the the typical VoIP protocol is called SIP which is used on top of UDP to sort of give it the ability to do more but but the in the case of DNS it is possible to connect with TCP to a DNS server and then make your queries that way if you needed to for some reason and for example there's something in DNS called a zone transfer where you want to you basically say tell me everything there is to know about grc.com for example and 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 if zone transfers are allowed which for many security purposes nowadays they are not but 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 in the old days um, you could you you only could use TCP for a, one of these so-called zone transfers where you're saying I want to know about all the machines within the grc.com domain the mx you know the, the the email servers and everything going on give it all to me and and you cannot do that over UDP so but but so in general UDP is a much more quick simple lightweight protocol it also means that you might have a UDP server with an an open UDP port as opposed to an open TCP port and you would not really be able to tell that it was there unless you asked it in in its own particular protocol for example if you wanted to find out if someone was running a a a DNS server you'd have to send a DNS query to port 53 oh, interesting and see if you got a response whereas the whole opening connection dance with TCP is generic you do the same three-way handshake no matter what service whether it's web or for example uh, DNS over TCP or FTP or any other TCP based protocol so if you're a hacker sniffing TCP ports you could just send a sin to every port one after the other exactly and say hello and that'll tell you that ports there but if it's a if you want to sniff UDP ports you'd actually have to use the appropriate protocol on each port exactly in order to satisfy the server that may or may not be listening now so it's much more complicated uh, to sniff UDP ports then it's a lot more complicated although again the the original spec for the unix machines um you know where all this originated does say that if a UDP packet arrives where there is no service listening and and tell and it has told the operating system that it wants it to forward packets that arrive on a certain port to it then the operating system should send back an ICMP a specific ICMP message saying there's nothing listening to this port so so UDP ports can by default show themselves as being closed that is you get back something saying there's nobody here so again you'd like to stealth that behavior in, in, in and of course that's what personal firewalls and routers do 
I think this is great. I, I, you know, when you, we deal with this all the time. When you go into your router, for instance, to port forward, to make some port work, let's say you've got a router that's, that's, you know, rightly so blocking all ports, but you want to use a, 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 you know, you want to set up a server for World of Warcraft. You'll see all this. You'll see UDP versus TCP and, and which port number and all sorts of stuff. But now you know what it means. Now you know well, what it's interesting, doing. too. You were talking about port forwarding, and I, I, I remembered that that also bears on um, the IDENT port because there are still some older routers whose firmware does it will it will not stealth the IDENT port. It will respond that there's nobody here. But a, a really fun workaround is to forward that IDENT port, which, by the way, is 113. You forward that to a non-existent IP address behind the router that is on your own network. So, for example, if your IP address was 192.168.0.1 to 100, you could tell the router, forward that to .0.200. Like a machine that you know will never exist. And what the router does is dutifully accept that incoming ICMP packet and sticks it on your network aimed at at an IP that doesn't exist. Well, since it doesn't exist, there's nobody there to answer the call, and you end up stealthing your IDEMP port if your router otherwise would not do so for you. Mm. So so if, I mean so and of course that works for anything that you wanted to you could you could aim any uh, ports that you wanted to stealth if the router wasn't just off into the twilight zone to an IP inside your network that doesn't have a machine listening on it and those packets are just going to go nowhere they just end up being dropped Well I think you have we covered the subject do, you, have, do we know everything we need to know about ports The one thing that I think is worth mentioning to people is that is that all of this problem which has been lots of history um you know we we talked first about this notion of of firewalls by default allowing traffic and then it guys blocking only the, the 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 mischief and how that's completely flipped around well the old days of Microsoft Windows, and and for that matter, other operating systems, generally had lots of things listening because there wasn't... There wasn't a compelling reason not to. And of course, in Microsoft's case, Microsoft always wanted to default towards allowing traffic because they just wanted things to work when i mean and they sure did boy you know you stuck your windows machine on the internet and you could share your files with your with any, everybody in the world worked whether that's well. really whether that's what you had in mind or not and, and they want you know they want a windows so that you when you click your machines together into a network they can all see each other and they can all happily share files unfortunately putting windows onto the internet was the same as putting it on your network right so it's re- it's really worth mentioning that this is all changed now. Fi- finally, I mean, and it took I don't know why it took so long, but it did. It's changed with Service Pack Two of of Windows XP, where there is a built-in firewall and it is on by default. And I'm, I'm you know there are people who are still downloading my my decombobulator and my unplug and pray utilities. Those are things which I create 
created in a day immediately after a new vulnerability had come out and well before in some cases months before Microsoft did anything to deal with it and and those things I created to like kill off those ports or shut down those problems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they were st- because we still didn't many people did not have personal firewalls XP didn't have a personal firewall in the beginning um, that was turned on all the time earlier versions of Windows never did I mean back then people were still using you know 95 and 98 but it's really the case that these problems are have been solved just by first of all by people having NAT routers I mean if you've got a NAT router in front of your system, it, it matters to a far lesser degree what ports are open on your machine itself. And you can see that because if you use Shields Up at GRC, it'll show you everything is stealth. Even if you've got open ports on, on the computers in your own network, the reason being nothing gets through your NAT router. We're testing your public IP, not those private IPs that no one can access anyway because they're not routable on the Internet. There's no way I can send traffic to 192.168.0.1 in order to test it because that IP won't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, th- 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 you know, thousands of tens of thousands of people have that IP on their machines behind their routers. Probably millions by now. Millions, I'm yeah, sure it is, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, you know, many, many tens of thousands. <laughs> so it, it really is the case that that this problem with with computers having open ports has really been mitigated first by the advent of routers and and secondly for those who are not behind a router certainly with a personal firewall which is on and doing its job as you know the built-in firewall in Windows XP does which which really means then that the 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 frontier for uh, the concern for open ports is ports opened in routers right. and so so the last thing worth talking about is is, is the, the the people who are worried that that for whatever reason they have to have exposed open ports you know what does that mean to have an exposed open port something you know where, where they're just not able to be stealth because they need to have services that are that are available out on the public internet and and this is interesting because it it factors exactly into the discussion we've had about about buffer overruns because unfortunately the the exposure of an open port is that traffic is going to be flowing back in through your router then to whatever machine you have you have designated on the router will receive that traffic and presumably you have something there on that machine some application which is then going to be accepting the traffic the problem is it is as we know it is very difficult to write perfect software um you know the the classic the classic boondoggle of an open port was PC Anywhere, which which many people were using for you know in the early days of the internet because it allowed them to connect to their machines at home and and you know 
do whatever they wanted to. That's why it was called PC Anywhere. The problem was Anything it had <laughs> ser- yeah, it had serious security problems that were being found one after another after another. Many people didn't even take the trouble to put a strong password on mm. PC Anywhere. So everyone knew what the default password was and people, you know, bad guys would scan the net for the standard PC Anywhere port and and connect to people's machines who never took the time to change the default password. So so the problem is if you've got ports exposed, if you've got ports open, it it is something you need to recognize as a potential problem and that is that you are then depending upon the the, the security of and the proper the, the proper functioning of whatever software package it is which is listening to those ports and in fact when i fired up skype just now leo in order to establish our connection i got a message telling me that there was a new version available because a security mm-hmm. problem had 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 been found and fixed in skype so i was like okay i'm going to update myself right, right now right right anytime you're running a service of any kind uh in order for that service to work you have to open a port and that opens up your system uh, to trouble if the service has a bug, and as you point out, it's it's inevitable. There, there's always bugs. Yeah, it's just it's so difficult not. I mean, this was the huge problem that Microsoft had with all of their services. I mean, right. virtually every single one of them <laughs> something was wrong with had them. multiple problems yeah, yeah. that were found and exploited. And I mean, that's where the worms came from that we were talking about before is specifically from these kinds of problems. So, so you know, the good news is security is on everyone's mind. Certainly, security is foremost in the minds of anyone writing applications I would say the only piece of advice if you have to have ports open is try to use you know robust well-tested um, services that you you have every reason possible to believe are not going to have problems and in fact you know if you really wanted to go a step further and you had the ability to I would say run those machines separately that that is you know it may be the case that you've got an old computer you know let it be the one on the front line in the so-called dmz where it's going to be receiving that traffic and not not run those services on your main machine where you where you really have much more valuable data and you want to make sure nothing is able to crawl into it. And it's another reason why people should go out and get routers uh, if they don't already have them and use them. And the minute you do, in fact, every time I install a router or and I've as soon as I've changed the password and turned off uh, universal plug and play, I'll go to grc.com and run Shields up and make sure that I don't have any uh, unstealthed ports and that's what a great yes. service that is you also want to um you want to make sure uh when you're setting up a new router that you remember to turn off anything that's like wan side stuff yeah. many routers have like wan side administration uh-uh. where uh, <laughs> that means the other just, guy can administrate your router <laughs> exactly for anyone on the internet <laughs> bad idea <laughs> that's not a good thing to have not a good thing to have i mean again uh, if you have to use it for whatever reason you then, then you want to take the time to do a really good to to choose a really strong password that no one is going to be able to guess because if your router is accepting a connection on its standard WAN port, 
then somebody out there could just sit there pounding away on it, doing a brute force password attack, trying to get control of your router. It's certainly better, first of all, not to run it on the standard port. Move it. Always move those things to a different port if you have to have them at all, and then run a really strong password. Yeah. And you can be sure uh, that if it's out there, somebody's banging on it. That's the other thing we've learned on the net is that you you can't just kind of skate anymore. People are out well, there all the time. You know, for example, um, the way I've got my my equipment at level three configured uh, on for the GRC network, I need to be able. If the worst happened and I needed to reboot a machine, I need to be able to power cycle the the, the machine or use uh, get console access remotely. So I've got some equipment which are neat little um, rack-mounted boxes, but all they have is Telnet. They don't have any provision for for stronger authentication. I can't do SSH or SSL. No, it's horrible. And there's no provision for changing from the default Telnet port of, of 23. So I've got these three boxes sitting there that I have to have access to from the outside. I mean, that's the whole point of them is I'm able to get to them from, from, from my home network or when I'm on the road. So, so the problem is they, they will only listen to port 23. They, they do provide a password, but it's just eight characters. Oh, man. And, I mean, and, it's, it's, and it's my network. It's the GRC uh, that's network. Terrible. And if someone accessed it, you know, they could turn off the equipment yeah. at GRC. Yeah. So obviously, the only reason I'm saying this on a podcast is I've solved the problem. I was going to say, you're asking for trouble here. What, what did you do? Um, what I did was I, I I found a really nice managed switch. I have I have a Dell managed switch, which is surprisingly inexpensive, um, which allows me to filter ah. those ports and only allow specific IP ranges to see them at all. So, so only, only somebody from your IP address can log in at port twenty three. Exactly, and in and in fact, though that equipment it doesn't exist for anyone outside. Uh. Of, of of the of specific networks which I have pre-designated as being allowed to send traffic. That's in. a good way to do it. That's super stealth. Well, and and it's I mean you have to because yeah. you just can't have you can't have a service exposed on the internet, especially a well-known service, right. especially from a well-known company. Um, <laughs> it's just going to get attacked. It's because someone's going to write something that sits there and starts with A and then B and then C. It's not going to take long. Eight letters. And does, psh, exactly, and does all. a brute force attack. Yeah. Well, I just want to circle back and say that we can thank, uh, in particular, two different people for packets, the notion of packets. I did say Paul Barron. He was did this research in the early 60s at Rand Corporation and wrote a paper on the idea of a packet switch network. And a Brit named Donald Watts Davies, who simultaneously, uh, but, but independent of uh, uh, Barron, um, wrote some papers on, in fact, he's the one who coined the term packet switching. Um, and describing that idea. And it really does go back to one of the great pioneers uh, of the Internet, um, uh, Len Kleinrock, who wrote some papers theorizing that the best way to do this would be with packets and, in fact, created the idea of a notion of data blocks uh, to solve the issue of data flow. So it's been around for a long time. And I have, oh, a, yeah, and I have a poem I want to read. 
Okay. Do you mind? No. <laughs> it, this is. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story about this poem in a little bit, but it's it's been going around the internet for years. I'm just going to read a, one of the verses. If a packet hits a pocket on a socket on a port, and the bus is interrupted as a very last resort, and the address of the memory makes your floppy disk abort, then the socket packet pocket has an error to report. Just thought I'd pass that along That's to you. That's pretty good. I like that. Actually, it's quite a bit longer. It's uh, uh, written by a guy named Gene Ziegler, who was uh, at Cornell. Wrote it in uh, 64, and it's been going, or 94, I should say. It's been going around the internet as uh, written by Anonymous. But it's a long parody of Dr. Seuss that is really quite funny. And I'll you put a link it, in the show notes. Stick, I was just going to say, put, yeah. a, put a link in the show notes. Maybe, yeah. maybe what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll, I'll read it, giving credit to uh, Gene Ziegler. And uh, put a copy of the recording up. We I read it years ago on uh, the site as Dev Null, the virtual character. Uh-huh. Um, it goes on. I mean, it goes. On. I'll just read the last the last verse. When a copy of your floppy is getting sloppy on the disk, and the microcode instructions cause unnecessary risk, then you'll have to flash your memory, and you'll want to ram your ROM quickly. Turn off your computer, and be sure to tell your mom. And it's <laughs> the page is a grandchild's guide to using Grandpa's computer. He wrote it after his grandkids messed up his Mac. <laughs> That's very cool. So, and we also, of course, want to remind people that GRC.com is available 24 hours a day to check your ports, baby. Shields up as one of the many resources, valuable security resources Steve makes available for free. But it's all supported by his great program, SpinRide, the ultimate disk recovery and maintenance utility, which everyone should have a copy of in this entire world. And uh, if you don't, go to GRC.com and get yourself one. Uh, and also, um, if you want 16 kilobit versions of the show or transcripts, thanks to our, transcri- our transcriptionist Lane, uh, those are also available at GRC.com. Slash, I'm going to do this, security now. Yep. They're waiting for the HTM. No HTM necessary. Yep. No www, <laughs> no, no HTTP, anything. <laughs> hey, I wanted, we got a note from uh, Alex uh, Nyhouse, who is at Astaro, uh, our great sponsor. And you remember that uh, last episode we were talking about NAT traversal, maybe two episodes. No, I guess it was last episode. Yeah, well, it was last episode. We, t- we talked about how NAT traversal works and, and the notion of of friendly versus non-friendly routers right. that, that, that would behave or not, depending upon how they mapped the ports through the router. And, of course, Estaro makes, you know, this is security gateway software. So he actually sent a note to his engineer saying, do we do this? <laughs> and they actually do it. It sounds like quite right. Now, I, I didn't fully understand it. But actually, they did. They, they do it so, so right that, I mean, it's like the best way you could. What they do is, and th- th- this is the uh, the Astaro Security Gateway. Right. Um, when it's running in a, in a in a NAT mode, they will leave the source port unchanged as it moves across the NAT. So they don't. So that, that's most routers do not do that, right? They change the port. Correct. Most routers just make up a, a random port and assign it in a table, so they're always changing the source port. And what what you're hoping for is that the source port will will be the same, even if the destination IP is different. Right. That's the, the the critical feature that you need for peer to peer friendly NAT. Well, the the Astaro NAT is is like the best it can be because it will leave the source port alone as it crosses through the NAT translation only changing the 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 source IP from the machine behind the NAT to the NAT address itself so that the packet is able to come back and what's very cool is that the only time when it will change the source port is if you happen to have 
two different machines, both communicating on the same source port, both to the same remote IP, because there it's very clear you would need you'd have, you'd have to change yeah. the source port in yeah. order to disambiguate right. the those two machines from the outside but unless that's done unless that's necessary the source port is not changed which means that, that the uh, the Astaro NAT is like i mean it's going to be the friendliest NAT you could ever have that's slick that's re- and, and by the way free. i'm using one yeah it's free you can get the software for free i'm using one right now and i'm really happy uh, with it i feel kind of powerful <laughs> i do want to mention astaro is of course our uh, sponsor and uh, the we've mentioned before that you can get the astaro security gateway software for home users absolutely free for a little bit more you can upgrade it to uh, spam antivirus protection it really is powerful stuff but i also want to mention that there is a, a new managed uh, system the astaro command center i've been looking at uh, the screenshots of this it is so slick looking acc version one it is free for users of uh, astaro security gateway so i'm going to download it and it's it's really designed for network administrators who have multiple gateways. It allows you to manage and control those gateways from a single slick-looking dashboard. I mean, this thing is gorgeous. Really looks good. It includes oh, a world map so you can see where your gateways are all over the world. And um, you can, you know, it has this monitoring so you can see where the threat levels are. The re- I mean, I don't know about threat levels, but resource usage. You can see the threat levels, but let's hope you don't have any threat levels. But the resource usage for all the gateways in the network, and you can coordinate them and manage them. Um, you know, startup, shutdown, and maintenance, and all of that stuff. Well, you know, I've I've got some friends that manage the security for like a, a bunch of small networks, and this sounds like it'd be just the thing exactly. for them. Exactly. So if you're already using uh, ASG, just down go to astaro.com, and you can download the Astaro Command Center uh, version one v one from the uh, products section. Which, you know, I mean, I think one of the nice things about using software like this, open source software like this, is uh, is it gets better all the time. And, yeah. uh, and and it's just wonderful. I mean, you really get a real benefit from it. It's I know. I almost wish I had a big managed network. <laughs> it wouldn't be any good for me. <laughs> I just use the home version. Uh, ASTARO.com. We thank them for their support. And, of course, we thank the fro- the good folks at uh, AOL uh, for supporting the show with the bandwidth, which is always an issue with a show like this, uh, with hundreds of thousands of listeners. That, that bill can add up, but AOL's been very generous, and uh, we encourage you to find out more about podcasting at AOL on the AOL radio channel by going to AOL.com slash podcasting. Steve, I we I, I'm so glad you did this. Uh, I think ports are, you know, probably this the single most confusing and interesting topic and certainly the thing that we all have to deal with uh, well, all the and, time and yes and i think it's it's that they're so visible i mean yeah. it's the thing people can see and it causes concern so i just really wanted to cover that really well and it's one of those and, things in the computer world that really i don't think anybody ever intended end users would have to deal with it wasn't designed for end users but we do Oh, I mean, neither was HTTP yeah, colon exactly. slash slash. Exactly. Tim Berners-Lee oh. is embarrassed oh, that anybody has goodness. to see that. But that's uh, how things evolve, and that's the yep. way it is. Uh, great, Steve. We'll see you next week. you have any idea what we'll be talking about? Or is Absolutely. It? It's episode 44. I was say, it must be uh, mod 4. Yep. So we'll do Q&A. Anybody who's got any questions, they can go to grc.com slash security now. Down at the bottom of the page is a form. Send your questions to us. Uh, I'll read them, and we'll, we'll pick from them and answer 12. 
All right. And, of course, that's also a good place to go to the uh, discussion groups, the security discussion groups on GRC.com. And uh, you can get your questions answered by Steve and other experts. It's really a really wonderful resource. GRC.com. Thanks, Steve. Always a pleasure, Leo. Talk to you next week. Security now.